Assembly Row in Somerville, Massachusetts. It's the Jeff Santos Show, kicking ass for the middle class. And now, here's Jeff. Welcome back, hour two of the Jeff Santos Show. Larry Corp at the bottom of the hour on Bolton and the right wing movement of the Trump administration. Oh my. We have a CIA official who has been lying about Iraq. We have uh, a new Secretary of State that's a hawk. Our man who gives us some sanity in an insane world, Larry Corb, will join us at the bottom of the hour. But we start this hour with our great friend from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He, of course is uh, the executive director of Wisconsin Citizen Action. He is a fan of R.E.M. That's why we play this song. And these days, with Trump and right-wing hawks who want to bring us into war, unfortunately, this theme is too realistic for, for me. It's the end of the world, and we know it. R.E.M. And it's time for us to talk to Mr. Robert Craig. Uh, Robert, how are you, sir? Happy Sunday. Uh, Very good. I'm out in D.C., actually. I'm in Adams Morgan right now. Uh, Were you there for the march yesterday? I missed the march itself, but I saw tons of people on the Metro Tons of kids and families, all the signs. The hotel I was in last night was was out in Bethesda, was packed uh, with people who would come in for it. So I got a sense of it, but I wasn't actually at the event proper. Well, very cool that you did get a sense of it. Uh, I uh, did march yesterday, got a really great sense. We just spoke to three young uh, student leaders in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, in the Springfield area. Uh, And I tell you, um, the future is bright if we can get there, um, <laughs> and uh, we'll get into that because the R.E.M. song and the end of the world as we know it uh, may be closer than not. But uh, I'm, I'm an optimist, uh, although sometimes, uh, you know, you just have to uh, turn the other cheek and, and turn away and maybe watch some NCAAs. We'll get to that in a minute, too. Um, but I want to start with the idea of, um, you know, capturing the youthful enthusiasm. And one of the questions that I asked the three students, uh, Trayvon, Amelia, and uh, Sarah, Sarah, of course, uh, was a Bernie Sanders supporter at a very young age, at 16 years of age, um, is about keeping these folks on track uh, to be active. Now, I don't know if we had talked about this before, both either on or off the air. It was Robin and I uh, like to get into conversations off the air. Uh, as well. But I am really hopeful that they continue um, to expand the, the needs that this country has. And I think a single payer health care, I think of four years of free public university for a lot of these kids, they're going to be dealing with this in the next year or two. Some are juniors, some are seniors. Um, because I think that we have captured something much like the civil rights marches of the 1960s. I saw high school and college students from a wide 
group of, of uh, areas that later turned on. A lot of those same people were, were against Vietnam, um, you know, were, were into other things as the baby boomers got a little bit uh, older. Do you think that we're at that same point? I mean, it's a very different historical context, obviously, Jeff, uh, but uh, there's always a generational thing going on and a generational thing going on at the time of major change and kind of illegitimacy of the current system and all of that entails uh, always has some similarities because the great thing about young people is they don't accept the limits that older people have accepted. People who are middle-aged and older think the NRA isn't beatable, and if you take a step back, of course, that's silly. Right. So these young people bring in new energy and they have a self-interest, which reminds me a little bit of the draft during the Vietnam War. Right. Because they're the ones that the NRA and the the right is insisting be in the firing line uh, to protect an extremely ahistorical, radical interpretation of the Second Amendment, which is you can have any weapon. (laughs) When the Second Amendment was written, when we had didn't have any anything remotely like an automatic weapon, where it took a minute to reload you're gone, right? You couldn't do a mass shooting with, with a gun yeah, in the 18th century. So I think that we have to capture that energy, but we also both remember that once the movement dies, a lot of those idealistic young people from the 60s and 70s, uh, a lot of them stayed true, but a lot of them also became establishment kind of people, right? And got kind of no doubt. Uh, eaten up by the system. And so the system has a lot of staying power, will have an impact on people unless we make fundamental change when we have a chance to make it. Because it, it's very clear there are openings for fundamental change that close. And the big question is how much you get done during those periods. Uh, but, if, but, you know, some of these young people will stay true and become lifelong organizers, and some will not unless we change circumstance and context. And the fundamental question, it's with guns, it's with everything else in our country, is whether we're going to have a vibrant democracy that has the power uh, to create a just society that is open and free for everyone and where there's opportunity for everyone or whether we're not going to, are we going to give in to immense private economic power? And that's what the right-wing movement's about. It's about circumscribing the power of democracy to act in the common interest. And so this is yet another opening, another example. You see, it's really clear to people when I look at the NRA and guns that 80% of the pu- public wants something. We still don't get it. What kind of democracy is that? And these young people are calling that question and very effectively right now. We're talking uh, with Robert Craig, Executive Director, Wisconsin Citizen Action, part of People's Action, a larger network that is uh, obviously concerned about where we are going in this country in terms of economic inequality, in terms of health care, gun, gun safety, gun violence, et cetera. Uh, I think that one of the areas that I, I like to focus on, and, and I think this has been sort of overlooked, but as we have seen, particularly from the, the leaders in Florida, that you know you don't have to be 21 or 25, have a college degree or a master's degree, to really have an understanding of, of the issues. I mean, these kids, and again, we're dealing with you know middle class to upper middle class uh, students. The parents are pretty well off in some cases. So you know they're they're they've been given um, you know an educational platform from a young age, but I believe that we can have a lot more of them, particularly with the access uh, to the internet. Um, and I feel like we are at a point right now where the 16-year-old should be able to vote, and 
you know, I, I don't think that it's a, a panacea that, you know, all of a sudden, um, you know, millions of 16-year-olds are going to vote. But what I think it does is it opens the door for 16-year-olds to be talked to, to be that's a, a part of, of the high school experience that you're going to vote for the first time. And maybe you get to them by the time they're, uh, they're 18, and a lot of them turn 18 when they... You know, their seniors about to leave the college. Because I think the other part of that is, is that if you get somebody at 18, and uh, we happened to talk to a kid yesterday during the March, I mean, he's going to be turning 18 in June. He's graduating in a week or two. And then he's going away. In some cases, the kids don't go to college. You know, 30% of them do or so, or maybe a little bit more. And he has to change his address again. So I think the voting piece of this is really critical. And I think I would take advantage of the point to keep, you know, pushing on this to have 16 as an age. I don't know what you feel about this, but to me that I think we should try to grab at this time that you see young people. I mean, I was marching with kids yesterday with 10 and 11 years old. Uh, you know, your thoughts. You know, and the uh, I think you're right now with the constitutional amendments involved, unless there's a constitutional convention forced by the right, you know, we're only two or three states away from that, in which case the whole Constitution would be on the table. And the ra rationale for 18 versus 21 was, if you can die in a war, uh, why can't you vote? Now, I would say there's a rationale of, uh, not, of somewhat similar uh, type, that is, that we're, uh, you know, our tough-on-crime right-wing conservatives are around charging teenagers as adults uh, when they, if they commit major crimes, uh, so they can be uh, charged. They can charge the adults, but they can't vote. Uh, but we should be thinking about enfranchisement of 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds. We should be thinking about enfranchisement of all the people who are on parole, who are denied the franchise, and also, I, quite frankly, For people sure. in jail and prison. I mean, the 13th Amendment literally says that uh, slavery is banned unless you're duly convicted of something. So, in other words, slavery is still legal in this country. Uh, it's a very, very unfortunately worded document. And this common sense notion that you should lose your vote because you committed a crime and are in jail or, or have been paroled in jail and haven't, been, and haven't gotten your vote back, and the state laws are all over the map on whether you can and how you can, um, is also equally absurd. But we know that the right will stop at nothing to block any expansion of democracy because their goal is to circumscribe democracy and make it weaker and make it unable to stand up to the private vested interests that they work for and believe in. Uh, there's no doubt. Talking to Robert Craig here on the Jeff Santos Show. Um, let, me, let me just say this. I, I think that one of, the, one of the areas here is that I think it's again. I'm talking to kids yesterday while I was marching with them and and talking to the three students on the phone. Is that I think that they see this as a cool thing now to be active, to be civic. You know, of course, your organization, mm -hmm. Citizen Action, and I think that to me is where we're seeing the change. Uh, you know, when I went to school, you know, I was one of ten people that marched at my university, which at that point in time, Northeastern, was a very big engineering school. I marched with 10 other people to divest from South Africa. This was uh, pre-Mandela, late 80s. And I feel that uh, pre-Mandela taking over, that is. Um, and right. I, yeah, I right. feel... Yeah, pre-Mandela's birth. 
<laughs> right, 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 right. Um, I think that that, you know, is a, a change. And, you know, we're not that far apart age-wise. You're a little younger than I am. Um, I, I think that there is a distinction here from, say, where the millennials are and, say, where Generation X was. Yeah, Generation X came out, came in during, you know, the 40 years of conservative supremacy. And uh, quite frankly, we still have it now. It's just that it's uh, it's being exposed to a great degree. And that's why we're kind of at a tipping point about whether there's going to be a democratic upsurge that changes, that breaks the hammerlock, or whether we sink into something less than a democracy, which we're already in the process of doing. And when you talk to your guest, Larry Korb, at the bottom of the hour, obviously, having someone like Bolton as, uh, you know, in power with our foreign policy is scary as all get up, quite frankly. And so, and quite frankly, we're very close to a constitutional crisis because of the uh, chaos around Trump and the, and the Russia investigation. He sacked his whole, his legal team yet again, right? And is relying on television lawyers of the right-wing Fox News variety, which is very scary. It's all going to come out with a reality TV show. So that's where we are right now, but the hope is in the idealism of young people and the new activism. It started with the resistance, um, but it is, and, and actually with the Bernie movement before that, uh, but it is gaming steam, but it is still out of power. It does not have the levers of power. Uh, no doubt. Um, again, uh, folks, phone number to join us, 844-967-2789. If you want to bring, come in on this, you're welcome to do so. Um, and we tried to get Rudy, and we'll try to get him back, our great caller from Chicago. Um, let me ask you this, Robert. Is, in your mind, a opportunity here um, for other issues? As I mentioned, single-payer, four years of free public university. I mean, because if you start this, again, civil rights to Vietnam to women's rights, to gay rights, all of those things happen in a 15-year period or so, in, in the uh, you know mid to late 60s to uh, you know I guess you know to the late 70s. Um, it would seem to me that there is an opportunity, you know, for a lot of these folks that we're talking about today with gun issues. You know, not all of them will agree. You know, you'll have a smaller percentage, but I think that that younger group, and of course a lot of them, including one of the students that we had. Uh, Sarah was started with Bernie Sanders, so I'm hoping that they can coalesce. Is guess what I'm trying to say? Do you see that, or is it just going to be very narrow their focuses? I don't know. And as you know, Bernie is a little bit of himself, a little bit of a flawed vessel on gun control, coming from That's Vermont, yep. and having a few votes that uh, Hillary used very effectively against him. Uh, there's still a very vibrant Bernie movement. You know, I was at a, uh, a kind of a, a small summit in New York City this week that NNU put together on single-payer health care strategy, and there's a lot of robust activity. It's way different than it was for the Bernie campaign. doesn't mean that they're huge or we have the chance are just going to ram it through, but there's a real legitimate strategy to get there by 2021 uh, led by NNU. And so I think that there's that it need, these things all need to link up. I mean, so how this links up with what we're seeing with the gun movement is critical because it's going to be really hard to get progress on guns very quickly at the state level or the federal level because of all of the things built in the system to prevent a majority from, from actually holding power. It goes back to the 18th century in the Constitution 
and also goes back to the way states are structured and uh, who, who has disproportionate power in the U.S. senator and state and, and, and broadly. You know, it's not just if, it, if things were more population-based or, or large city-based, it would be very different. And so there's a real danger that this gun movement will dissipate when there's nowhere to go uh, to get uh, to get very very much action, and so that's why it has to be linked up to other movements and become broader uh, to survive, in my opinion. There's no doubt. All right, let's uh, bring in a good friend, John, back into the conversation from Minneapolis. John, you're next with Robert Craig. Um, I know you have some thoughts on this that we were discussing earlier. Yeah, um, I guess. Um, well, first of all, I have an echo here, but um, I'll try not about my voice echoing. Um, you know, how about um, the attitudes of, of young people? I think that uh, they're really formed in high school. And, um, you know, I, I know, like, my experience as a young person was uh, uh, most of my teachers, they graduated from Hunter College. They were, um, you know, their family members, unionists, progressives. You know, uh, they were very to the left, a much further left than my father, who was uh, belonged to the AFCIO and was what you would call a Roosevelt Democrat, a New Deal Democrat. You know, they were you know, the progressive wing of the of the party. I grew up in New York, so I, I wonder if um, you know if this movement is uh, really something you know back to. Uh, like you, know, you mentioned, the Vietnam era, or maybe Jeff did, and then um, you know that they really see themselves as a vulnerable, and so they're going against the grain, even the grain of the, the administration of the schools that they you know are associated with. Or is this yeah. just? All right, let me. All right, let me hold you there because we're we're having a difficult time uh, hearing everything. I don't know how much of that you caught, Robert, but. Um, I think he's he's trying to make the comparison to the to the Bay Boomers and 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 seeing where we are. Um, uh, I don't know how much you got of that, Robert, but please go ahead and um, you know and comment. Well, the reform movements in the '60s and '70s were transformative, uh, but they did they left a lot unreformed, and then ultimately, for a lot of reasons, the 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 far right got organized. The Koch brothers and others got organized, and the Great White Ring conspiracy began. And we had the New Right, the Christian Right, Ronald Reagan, and Newt Gingrich, and on. Um, but huge progress was made in a lot of areas: uh, Voting Rights Act, Civil Rights Act, a whole bunch of the Great Society program, which has been whittled away at, but was you know was really important. Obviously, Medicare and Medicaid. Um, but we never really got to a highly unequal society. Uh, the school segregation under Brown versus Board of Education desegregation never really equalized education. The backlash in here in Boston, you know what I'm talking about, became overwhelming and overwhelmed the system. Uh, so, but, you know, these movements dissipate, dissipate at some point, and it's a question of what structural changes you have made. And so that's the critical thing here. This is a huge opening, but it's not about winning one election. It's about winning multiple elections and making structural changes in our society that open it up and uh, make it much more equal and more free. 
and we're, this is a, there's a lot of opportunity here. It's very hopeful, but we're at the very beginning of state, beginning stages. This is like the mid fifties in the civil rights movement, and hopefully we have that kind of movement. I don't know that we do, but we need one. Well, it certainly is uh, is a critical time uh, uh, to do it. And and John, I think you raised some good points. I am also uh, thinking that we are at a point uh, right now that we have to really capture the these young people. I, I don't want to, you know, feel like I want to use a generation, but I think the generation needs to actually use us. Um, you know, they can lead um, and use the experience of uh, people who are, you know, like us on this conversation and are in their 40s and 50s and 60s, um, you know, that together we you know we can make a difference because there is there is a a, a majority here um, that if done right you know can move the the ball down the field and I want to bring you back uh, Robert to a couple of weeks ago when Connor lamb won that you know he's not you know a, a perfect progressive um, but he connected on a couple of levels that if you combine it with um, you know, assault weapons bans, which to me is very common sense. We've already had it already. This time we just don't put a peanut butter jar expiration date on it like they did in 2004. Um, but I think that single payer and uh, four years of free public university, because it's also been tried in other parts of the world, I mean, these are things that should not be that hard to do. And if we put together this coalition, again, along with what Connor Lamb did with unions and others, I think that this, to me, a big Roosevelt fan he, he talked about, this to me is not that heavy a lift. Maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm asking for too much, but I think that this is a 2020 Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Sherrod Brown, you can name a couple of other candidates. It's all there for them if they organize this properly. Well, if you were just focusing on Medicare for all, our fully public universal system, and... Uh, free college, it's very easy to do at the federal level. It's very hard to do state by state because the fiscal constraints put on states. And so, but recapturing the federal government, getting over the 60 filibuster, uh, and the fact that we have a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, Democrats and Namoni, dino types, right, in the the swing states, very hard will require quite a sweeping movement but it is entirely plausible, and we need to, you know, we need to reverse the tax cuts because the tax cuts are not only designed to give money away from the most successful corporations uh, and the benef- and the major benefactors of the, of the Republican right in this country, but to starve government so we can't do things like this, and therefore discredit government further and leave private economic power and multinational corporations in charge of our of our economic destiny and our social destiny. Uh, so it's it's but these things are entirely doable. We need to start to stop debating things like the technical details of a single payer plan and just start trying to create a mandate to create one. Yes, exactly. Get over the minutia and start thinking big. Robert Craig, always great to talk to you. You give me hope, and that's important. Uh, all the best, my friend. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Thank you, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Pleasure is mine. We're right back. Larry Korb's on deck.